It is the Foamy Heads. We're on the mics tonight with Mitch and Rich. We're hanging out. Uh, I think I'm at home. Mitch, you're still at work. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The usual. (laughs) I don't think you're ever going to get a chance to go home before like six or seven, dude. Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's worse things to complain about. Yeah. At least I get to drink. This is true. Yeah, you've got a pretty you've got a pretty sweet setup there. You can you can kind of close the office down at the end of the day and enjoy happy hour. I have to go home to do that. <laughs> so, uh, fun night tonight. We've got planned. Um, we've got Byron from uh, Proper Sake, which is in Nashville. So uh, we're dealing. We're going to be drinking some sake type beers tonight. Byron, welcome, man. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is. This has been fun. We were looking forward to this for a while, um, just to kind of tee us up and kind of get us ready. Um, Mitch is more of the sake guy. I actually was introduced to it from proper sake. I actually had not had much, if any, before until Mitch and I actually went down to uh, your spot and uh, I had my first flight of sake there. So that's kind of what turned me on to it. And I was really excited to have that. And then now we're sitting here with two proper uh, proper sake beers in front of us too. So I'm excited to get into that tonight as well. So we appreciate you jumping on this, uh, the show with us tonight. Yeah, the uh, I think that time we showed up there, it was uh, during the winter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, there was a space heater there at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it was cozy, man. Uh, <laughs> it, we were able to get the flight of sake, which was unheard of in Nashville. Uh, and even rarer still was the, I think you still offer it today, aged in oak barrels, the sake, I forget the name of it. Yeah, the Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain, ah, rightfully named too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and uh, that became a quick favorite on, on my, my uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it. It went blank, I need to drink to get <laughs> Yeah. These normally we're, normally we're drinking. I haven't even had anything to drink yet tonight, so I'm feeling uh, I'm a little I'm a little uptight right now. But um, Byron, just kind of kick us off a little bit. Tell us a little bit about um, Proper Sake when you guys actually started, um, and kind of take us through just kind of a high level while we're getting our beers ready about um, <clears throat> how long you've been in the game and and what kind of inspired you to to start this whole process. Yeah. Um, so my background is in culinary and specifically fermentation has kind of been um, the most important part of that for me. Um, So all the places I've worked over the years, I've tried to incorporate some element of fermentation. Um, I started making sake about 10 years ago, um, basically because I had had premium sake for the first time while living in New York and really just changed my mind about everything. Um, And then on top of that, was already working pretty closely with Koji as a fermentable. So it was a natural progression. And specifically when I moved back to the South, um, knew that if I was gonna be able to have cool sakes of the very specific varietal that I usually tend to favor, it was gonna have to be made in house. So um, I started the process in about 2016. I think we got our first shipment out late that year and then 2017 was just distribution. 2018, we opened the tasting room. And then the last two years, we've slowly been adding items to the catalog and trying to work out of the pretty small space we have to, to keep things interesting. Um, so specifically, 
beer wise we started doing the koji gold um last year um kind of as a nice sidecar um and also as a nod to japanese lagers paired with full flavored namasakes um which is another favorite of mine and one of one of my favorite parts about going to japan is sitting down in izakaya and having not one but two beverages um the ultimate pairing (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to be able to offer that and we started doing that i guess i guess later last year in full production and we brew that at a another facility that's much larger than ours Mm. um and so yeah once once covid started and we got kind of shut down um really really forced me to go back to the drawing board and allowed me some some free time if you will to mess around with different permits and as much as i love sake i also love craft beer and have been following the trajectory of of all these amazing breweries um over the past decade as well and yeah this has been a great opportunity to to work around and try some new beers especially um you know kind of co-fermentation items too where you're really blurring the lines between sake and beer yeah, I was curious what your your more your go-to craft beer would be. Um, I, from the styles I've seen, it's been a lot of like hop forward kind of beers. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been all over the place. I love saisons, and I know that those are not always people's favorite. It's a it's a specific specific aroma and flavor profile, mm-hmm. and I know that a lot of people love. IPAs in this moment, so I certainly wanted to see what I could do with with koji as an ingredient, um, and then also highlight some of my favorite hop styles, so mosaic, sriracha, Nelson Sabin. Um, mm-hmm. Those are ones that I tend to to air towards. For one, because I have a robust supply of uh, sriracha hops, just because it's a Japanese hop. Uh, and mosaic because I think it is super, super dreamy with sake, which is kind of how I ended up with the, our double India pale sake way back when was I wanted to figure out how to introduce that super tropical, funky flavor profile to the sake. Um, but yeah, I also have a really soft spot in my heart for, for super crisp Japanese style and German lagers. So, you know, your Hallertau and Saz hops really... I try and keep those around as well. Nice. That's awesome. And I like the I like the I like the adventure you went into kind of what hops you prefer to put in and what you favor when you're when you're putting beers together. I, I kinda wanna jump over to that actually real quick if that's cool. Um sure. Mitch, we've got two beers on tap tonight or actually in bottles, right? Right. I think we're doing. I think we're doing two from Proper Sake. We've got the uh, Koji Monsuta, and then we've got the Double Monsuta as well. Um, I'm assuming I'm going to be leaning heavily on Byron on this one, but I assume one is a, an IPA and the one is kind of a double IPA. Am I am I in the ballpark on that? Just based on the name, uh, you're you're close. So the Double ah. Monsuta is uh, is the double IPA. Yeah. <laughs> the Koji Monsuta is also a double IPA, only ah. um, the, the difference is that the grain bill is entirely koji. So okay. Interesting. Every, every bit of starch is, is you know, gelatinized koji. 
nice. I'm very I am very curious to get into this one and how you were able to blend Koji and and or I'm sorry sake and beer together I'm pouring mine right now just to kind of see what it looks like heck yeah right off the bat that nose it's it's I'm not I'm not the I'm not the sake uh, expert by any means but I can smell it's very heavily uh, on the nose and this is it's a good introduction mm. for me because I'm a big I'm a big IPA guy um, and I think I've had Mitch uh, we split a double IPS I think uh, oh the double India pale sake yeah I think we had that last week and that was super tasty I'd actually never had a, a beer and sake you know something from you guys like that or just in general and that was a really interesting it was real fruity and super like sweet on the end but it was real hoppy in the beginning it was yeah it yeah. was wild man my mouth was confused for a minute <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what I was drinking but I, was, I definitely enjoyed it that was the guava yeah. one Oh, was that what it was? It was the guava. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it was exactly what you were talking about, plus the addition of some basically caramelized guava. So the the dips, the double India pale sake, started I guess probably two years ago when I was messing around with hops, but not really doing beer necessarily, um, or at least IPAs. And so I wanted to figure out how to introduce hops in a way that also mimics some of the elements of sake fermentation. So uh, just a, a quick a quick breakdown of, of lactic acid and Shubo yeast starters is that you're, you're trying to build some kind of lactic acid content to protect the batch as you're growing the yeast and the, adding the starch and all that. So there are natural ways to do that and then there are less natural ways to do that. One is by adding commercial lactic acid straight in um, and the other is to propagate those naturally. So what I do is propagate naturally um, because it allows you to incorporate a lot of other interesting, uh, you know, microorganisms into the brew and really diversify and complex, make the flavor more complex. Um, but uh, simultaneously with that, um, hops obviously are used to protect beer in a similar way. So I essentially extracted the hops in a way to use that as as a, a stand-in for the lactic acid um, and in doing so it, it turned the sake pink but also gave it a really nice aroma some sharpness uh, some of those acidic notes that you probably noticed but i've always thought that specifically the hops that i used in that one were kind of guava forward so to add mm -hmm. fresh guava to it was also uh, kind of a fun little to do mm -hmm. two weeks ago whenever that was yeah yeah it uh a couple friends in new york got it <laughs> and uh they they nothing around them compares to it so they were just blown away by it uh at, i don't think i actually told them exactly what it was they just opened it up dove right in and they want more so it's just <laughs> they're like and why tennessee you know and, yeah um uh, it's a. I, I know you've told the story several times, and you even uh, covered it a little briefly at the beginning here. So it's just wild that you stuck around. <laughs> but uh, exciting yeah. too. Yeah, because we get that here in landlocked Tennessee, we get a chance to have stuff like this. You know, I, it's <clears throat> yeah. Growing up, I, I 
I, I unfortunately was like a really weird kid that got into the 90s anime, like horror genre, you know, and grew up into and with Neon Genesis Evangelion and all that just, it was just fucked up shit. It was anime, you know, going past a certain kind of standard for animation at the time. And uh, it was just... I couldn't get any of that here in Tennessee. It was uh, Windows 95, 98, and I did not have cable, so the torrenting was real on that. <laughs> it took forever, took days. So, you know, it was just one of those things growing up. I was like, why isn't there a Suncoast here? And, you know, cut to the teenage years, Saki was just barely on the shelf. I don't really remember what was even there, but... Um, when it comes to like sakis, I, the ones that always caught my attention were the most vibrant glassware, which just seems odd, you know. That, that's another like subject matter to get into, but <laughs> um, I'm going to dive into this beer. I've been staring at it and I had some of the foam. I haven't actually drank it yet. Yeah, I've been I've been drinking it already. I'll take another sip though, Mitch. That so nose is cool. Drinking the devil first. Uh, which one? Shoot, I cracked open the uh, the Koji Monsuta. That's what I did too. So we're we're on the same page. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the one I should have opened first. No, I think it's great. I think you're gonna find that they're playing in the same sandbox. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the Devil Monsuta really was the inspiration for the Koji Monsuta because uh, I used two types of Koji. And I used, you know, a DIPA style. So um, that was where the double came from. And then I was like, well, what happens if I just don't use any traditional grain and hmm. go all in with koji? So it's a very similar recipe, just without any uh, any pills or malts on the on the grain bill. That should be interesting. I'm I'm looking. I'm looking forward to differentiating between the two to see what I can taste. Cause I'm assuming I'll be able to taste a slight difference between the two, but I don't know this one, this one's got a, an interesting lift on the end yeah. to me <laughs> as I'm drinking it. So first off the nose, um, <clears throat> I can, I can smell the, the sake in it and it's tasting it. it. It definitely starts out as, as an IPA. Again, this is, I'm not the expert on, on any of this, but it's a very smooth transition from a very bitter hoppy and style, you know, style beer straight into what's kind of appears to be like a fruity um, kind of low alcohol flavored finish. That is the sake that I've come to, <clears throat> that I've come to drink just real easy drinking, real smooth at the end. I really like that light bitter lift that it keeps around mm -hmm. that uh, after several uh i guess drinks of it, it it's just it's nice it's pleasant it almost reminds me of kind of like a uh the dryness after sake is super dry or something of that sort um i'm not i've just i've enjoyed sake but when it comes to talking about it i don't know so if i'm out of line put me in alignment please but, correct us <laughs> yeah come on but. down to the alignment shop well, <laughs> The koji itself is definitely part and parcel to, to creating some snap and some bitter and some dryness at the end, uh, especially barley <clears throat> koji, which seems to have this really like almost kind of champagne aroma. 
Champagne. Uh, That's the word I was looking for, actually. Champagne. Yeah. And so it also continues to dry out over time, uh, especially during the ferment, because the enzymes in the koji actually deconstruct more of the whatever starch is remaining that maybe the alcohol isn't getting to and, you know, creates this enzymatic dryness. Um, the Japanese nomenclature is karakuchi hmm. for super dry style, beers, sakes, whatever it is, karakuchi style. So like a Kirin super dry or a sake super dry would be karakuchi style. Okay. Uh, most Japanese lagers are on the drier end. I remember, yeah, I, uh, Orion was one that I really sought after here yeah. for a while. I love Orion. Or, or Odeon. Yeah. Since you ask, I've been taking the task on that before. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of, I've given up trying to pronounce things right being in the South. You yeah. know, I'll take a correction <laughs> and I'll run with it. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. all the time like how do you pronounce sake and mm. it's like well like what feels good to you because i'm just i'm so happy that you're talking about it and yeah <laughs> i don't want you to feel uncomfortable and feel like you have to not talk about it because you can't pronounce it right right call it whatever you want yeah if you want interesting wine, if you want to call it rice wine you can mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah that's an interesting point because nashville i mean i i know I know proper sake is the only sake bar in Nashville. I'm assuming it's the only one in Tennessee, um, unless more have popped up recently. But um, your point about calling it like it is, you know, we don't have we don't have a lot of this available to us. So stunting, stunting communication <laughs> and stunting conversation like that could be could be detrimental. Um, what? Go ahead, Mitch. I'm sorry. Well, just on the same thing, like if you go into a liquor store, the sake sections are typically super low or tight to a corner near the wine, out of the way from most of the popular liquors. So um, it's just something that as far as when I talk to people about it, especially close family, they're all bourbon, whiskey, beer, you know, and you bring a sake, they don't know what to think. And when they taste it, it's you know it, it's the only way you can explain it to some people is rice wine and they the wine is like for whatever reason a turnoff with some some men you know what i mean <laughs> it's just weird I, I don't know i don't understand it i'm like it's just another thing that you can drink man what what's yeah. the problem but it's true and it's like in fact you know if you if you're trying to hype up the masculinity of it like mm -hmm. It's a pretty aggro beverage. It's yeah. the highest natural ABV of any fermented beverage. There's mm -hmm. some arguments that can be made, but I, I won't go down there. But, you know, you have a what can be up to a 22, 23% alcohol beverage that Ooh. doesn't have any distillation. It doesn't have any special adjuncts. It's just rice. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want to talk about something that'll that'll push the envelope. Like yeah. that whiskey, have some sake. Yeah. Um, to your point, though, yeah, a lot of the sakes that are available, especially in the south, um, just not not great and a huge turnoff for people. Especially when their first experience is usually a pretty commodity style, you know, at a sushi restaurant served hot. Uh, uh, me right here. That was, <laughs> a, that was that was one hundred percent my first. I'd go to a I'd go to a 
uh, a Japanese restaurant or whatever, and you go the the typical cookie cutter, like, oh, you know, you want the, um, <clears throat> you know, you want the the typical Japanese like American inspired chicken meal or whatever and it's like oh you order you order sake and it's like oh do you want it hot or cold i'm like well why would i want it cold you know they just they bring it to me in this japanese style bottle and i pour it and i drink it and i go okay so this is what sake is and then years later i go to somewhere like proper sake and i and i drink and i go this is not what i drank back at the restaurant that is considered the japanese style restaurant in my area and Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. Mitch, this is kind of a funny story. We've, we've talked about this a few times, but I actually have a freezer upstairs in my bonus room. I'm sitting there right now and I've got a, uh, a bottle of, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a bottle of, I don't even remember what it was. Mitch is what turned, yeah, he's got the can right there. So um, it's a Narutotai, the yeah. red snapper. Uh, at, is it Nagori based or? Yeah, I remember it being Nagori. It says Ginju Namaginshu Saki. Yeah, so that, okay. that particular Narutai, if I'm not mistaken, is a Namaginshu. So it's actually hmm. pretty pretty on par with the style that we do and hmm. one of the few that you can get in the area. Hmm. Um, so basically, Nama means that it's unpasteurized, mm-hmm. which is super rare um, in the South, especially. Yeah. And then Ginshu means that it's totally undiluted. Uh, so there's no water added back in. So most sakes finish in that 18 to 22 range, but most of them will then be diluted and filtered back to, say, anywhere between 13 and 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that's also a Muroka. So it is not charcoal filtered. It's not sediment filtered. It's just the raw product. The sediment <clears throat> allowed to rest and fall to the bottom, and then they pull that off and no dilution. Yeah. It that's was... Like it was awesome because uh we had that years was that before proper sake i think it would have been uh it would have been six years ago when we had it about 2014 yeah okay and we had i think we split probably half the bottle that night and then i threw it in my my beer freezer whatever just to keep it chilled and then it kind of moved with me from my old house in davidson county out here into murfreesboro and i just plugged the freezer in and kept it and then it was like a month or so ago i go and i open up the freezer and there's this block of ice in the freezer where it had like melted and frozen over but there was a little tiny hole right in the middle where i could look through and i saw that bottle of sake just sitting there in the back it's been sitting there for six years in a freezer and I actually went tonight, I was telling Mitch, I went tonight with like a screwdriver and a hammer to kind of chip away at the ice in that freezer to see if I could get it. I can't, it's like seven or eight inches thick and I've got a bottle of sake behind this frozen layer of ice that's in my freezer. I can't get to it, but is it any good right now? That's the question. If you ever, if you ever get it out, yeah, have to taste it because that's the kind of experiment that you just, you can't create any other way. Okay. But, so those particular full flavored, full alcohol <clears throat> styles, they tend to age really well. So nice. I, I also, being a fan of aged sakes, um, I love the the depth of flavor that comes along, and typically, like they start to draw out some more cacao and maybe some honey. Um, but as, you know, essentially, what happens is that whatever starch is remaining is still continuing to break down. And it almost turns into like a super earthy umami forward cherry or something. Hmm. Uh, but 
all that to say, that's a pretty special way to, to hibernate that sake. And there's been a lot of <laughs> Japanese breweries lately that have been doing all these weird aging experiments where they'll take a finished product, they'll put the bottles in a crate and drop it to the bottom of the Japan Sea or whatever. Huh. Or they'll take it and put it in a cave in a mountain or like bury it in the snow underground somewhere. So essentially what you've done um <laughs> yeah put it put it in a freezer and let it ice over for six months. <laughs> awesome now i'm now i'm super excited i don't want to i i'm gonna deviate to the conversation i feel like i've been i'm being rude this whole time mitch and no. i've been talking about what we're drinking byron you've got you've got <laughs> something there what are you sipping on tonight so this is the last bottle of the umami brute which was one of the first beers that I did during COVID um, and it was is a little flat because it was the <laughs> it was the last bottle that wasn't enough to be full mm. um, but I thought this was a good chance to, to tap into it because I'm not going to judge myself about the lack of carbonation and uh, <laughs> yeah so this was a pale um, it was done with an English style yeast um, Sriracha hops again and it also had a had koji in the green bill, but not full koji, um, and super dry because I carved it really high. Mm. Um, so at some point, it was very very crisp. Oh, <laughs> you mentioned it was you mentioned it was a little on the flat side due to the it wasn't a full bottle before you bottled it. I mean, like. So as a, I, I homebrew, I haven't done it in years, but I've, I homebrew and I don't have a kegging system. I'm more of a, a bottling guy. Um, maybe I haven't reached that threshold, but I have never experienced a time where a beer that I have ends up being flat because um, there's too much air in it or I don't fill it up enough. Is that actually something that can affect the taste of a of a beer? If, I, if I'm not filling it up enough before I, before I bottle it, does the... Does the extra air actually have a negative effect on carbonation and taste overall? Well, I wouldn't think so if you were bottle priming uh, mm -hmm. or bottle conditioning. True. Okay, that's a good point. This was pulled off of a, a break. So mm, it was, point. you know, essentially put in there with as much CO2 as I could fit in the bottle, but mm. uh, essentially having that much headspace, uh, eventually it's just, it's not going to hold. I gotcha. But yeah, with a naturally bottle conditioned beer, I would think even if it was a little bit short on space, um, that it would probably still be fine. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I've still got the uh, umami brute in the fridge. Nice. Yeah. I think it's aged really well. And I think it's, especially that particular style of yeast mm. does well with some, some cold conditioning. Cool. And so it's it's been nice to taste this this far down the road too mm. it's definitely one of the more savory beers that i've done and that uh -huh. that english bitters yeast really i think has a kind of a funky savory note on it too oh that kind of reminds me of the uh uh i was super impressed with the hundred day koji gold is that right was it a hundred day age or yeah. something like that okay I'm not too familiar with the process, but it's just, uh, it, it, well, I've had the Koji Gold and it's the lighter spectrum of beers on my, for my palate. And I like it. It's not exactly my most favorite thing, but um, uh, it's right in alignment for when I want that super dry kind of 
light beer and uh the hundred day lager it was almost a whole different beer to me and <laughs> it was it it was fantastic i i loved every bit of that one yeah well i guess a couple of things that made it different was that it was brewed on site and not at fat bottom where we do the full production oh okay i was going to ask about that actually where you do your brewing at um they they have a a massive rig over there so they people come in and brewing over there Uh, but this one was done all the same ingredients all the same recipe um but lagered for 100 days so i guess one difference too is i don't have a centrifuge on site so i can't I can't clarify the beer as much as they would, which is totally fine. And actually for the purpose of lagering for a hundred days, you know, you do want some trub in there too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought that was fun. And yeah, to your point as well, like I love a crispy beer, but it's it's almost more of a food food thing. You're gonna want that with some food or with a sake. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless it's super hot and you're sitting outside maybe you need something a little crispier but true true yeah i this summer was a bit too hot for me (laughs) but towards the end there it was pretty nice right when uh uh you had the peach sake come out and then the uh guava those were those weekends were perfect for all sorts of kind of little dinners outside and beverages it was awesome um I am. You mentioned how COVID has kind of had to change the way that you're viewing things and kind of made you, it forced you to adapt to stuff. How, how has that changed your process? It's, it's interesting to hear that from people because um, craft, the craft brewery community in general has had to get real. um, What's the term unique, you know, they've had to, it's in general, they've had to come up with different ways because, you know, the country was shut down for weeks, basically, like people could not come into your, into your establishment, which you had already established as a source of revenue. So you kind of had to get creative. That's the word I'm looking for. How has, how has that kind of changed? Um, How have you had to get creative since this whole coronavirus thing started? Yeah. Um, Well, as you mentioned, the tap room, we closed it pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and I had, I had come back from Japan um, at the beginning of February where they were already taking this very seriously. So I figured it was only a matter of time. So I probably even shut it down a little early, but mm. um, yeah, basically we, we derive most of our income at this point from restaurant sales and from the onsite tap room. <laughs> so, mm. When those two things went away, yeah, um, it became a little bit more about packaging and distribution, and in so much as we can, trying to take advantage of retail outlets. But for the most part, um, retail is kind of dominated by your your usual suspects, uh, especially in a time where people are looking for comfort. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I started doing. Um, the online sales and pickup. And so to make things interesting and to keep people engaged um, and also to keep myself engaged, it seemed like a good idea to try and do a release every week. Uh, yeah. So definitely small batch stuff, but it's really allowed me to get back to some of my culinary and fermentation roots. Um, it's certainly not been as lucrative, but 
we are doing fine and we're going to stick it out. And I've certainly enjoyed being able to continue exploring, um, you know, fermentation as a vessel and sake and beer and all sorts of different, you know, cross cultures, um, hmm. really trying to figure out what happens next. We're looking at a new space as well that will hopefully have some outdoor space, nice. uh, which seemingly is about as important as anything at this point. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so that'll be huge and also have a little bit of extra space to work around. You guys have seen the shop, like it's not, it's not very big and I share it with another guy. So it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty tight. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, I think you showed me where you brew briefly and it was just a smaller square space behind the whole uh, storefront itself uh, to the side or whatever. But yeah, I, it, it, it's almost like working on an engine at that point. You, know, <laughs> you really have to get involved and squeeze around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, but yeah, good work, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. The brew room itself is, I think probably a little over 300 square feet. And then the Koji room is about 200 square feet. So ultimately the tap room takes up more footprint than anything. Um, which I've now taken that over for packaging, but <laughs> <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta do. And you, you've seen the tank there that I got. <laughs> yes. Yes. You <laughs> got most of the tap room space now. Ah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, more important than ever that I figure out where to, where to set that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do miss sitting in there with the flight that, that was nice. I, it's something I wish I did more often. Um, yeah. It carried away on the day to day. It's <laughs> everything well, goes by so quick now. Definitely stick with me and uh, I'll get you there eventually. We'll, definitely. we'll have a new better space before you know it. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully things will be back to normal. And we can share a beverage in person. That'd be great. <laughs> In the meantime, I don't think you have to worry about Mitch going anywhere. I saw his I saw his fridge the other day. Actually, he posted a picture today on the Foamy Heads Instagram page where he mentioned, you know, because today is actually National Podcast Day, which is interesting enough. It just happened to coincide. I don't think we planned that when we kind of set this up with you, Byron, but he posted a picture and it just it's just proper sage just stuff. And I've been to his office before. I've seen his fridge and he's like Richard, my paycheck, you know. <laughs> a lot of it's going towards us these days like he literally made the comment it was like if he just stopped brewing i wouldn't have to buy so much right now but the fact <laughs> that he's coming out with something all the time i feel like yeah. you know <clears throat> right now for us it's between i mean there's there's so many great nashville breweries and they're always coming out with something beard iris always has something new living waters has always right. something new you know southern grist is always coming out with yeah. 20 beers a week that always taste great but I think right now, just looking at Mitch's um, fridge, just because he's closer to Nashville than I am, I'm out in Murfreesboro, but um, because he spends a lot of his time in Nashville, you can see a distinct uh, collection between living waters and proper sake sitting <laughs> yeah. in his fridge right now. And it is <laughs> insane the amount of beers and sakes that he has from you guys. It's ridiculous, it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I stocked up on a few to age too. Uh, I love that. Uh, 
I, I gotta remember what they were, but there was one that you had already aged three years, I think. So I'm just gonna <clears throat> yeah. Last week's uh, last week's release, which was in honor of World Sake Day, which is actually tomorrow. Um, ah. So this really is the, the perfect timing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was one of the original Odaimoto Yamaha brews that I did. Um, wow. And those styles, specifically being full flavored, unfiltered, um, they have a higher acid content, so they age well. And huh. so I drank a bunch of it right away or you know, sold it. But I, I wanted to make sure I saved some. So I saved about seven gallons of it. Mm, um, nice. And uh, yeah, it's been sitting in the walk-in cooler. Um, wow. all that and uh, just getting just getting good. <laughs> Don't tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some available. Last I checked. <laughs> a couple bottles, and it comes with a, a holograph sticker. Mm. It, label. It, it's cool. I, I've got to figure out where I want to put it. Right now, it's just staying safe. I don't know. <laughs> Well, um, don't don't be too careful with it because I got extras for you if you want. <laughs> awesome. Just let me know. All right, we'll do. <laughs> time I, to get into the next one, Mitch. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ready for more. Uh, <laughs> we got the double Monsuta up on on. Uh, wouldn't call it on tap because it's in a bottle, but that's exactly what it is. So this is oat on rice. deck. On deck, thank you, Mitch. Oat <laughs> rice and koji, not all koji. Byron, kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown again. You you hinted at it at the beginning, but we've been drinking since then. So the difference between the the koji monsuta and the double monsuta, kind of highlight the differences for us while we're kind of setting this beer up to to taste. Yeah. So again, it's it's kind of the precursor to koji monsuta, where it's based on a DIPA style, but the double on top of it being a DIPA, also pertains to the two types of koji that it has in it, which is barley and oat. Um, so it's, this, it was the first time I'd ever made oat koji, which I've made a lot of different substrates of, of koji for various restaurants around town or for various projects. This is the first time I've done oat. Was, you know, if you're gonna make a, that style of beer, you gotta have some flaked oats in there. So, I figured if I was going to, to do that, I might as well turn those oats into koji first. Yeah. And basically the process is, you know, steaming it so you get a specific moisture content and then inoculating it with these spores that I get from Japan um, and then propagating it for about 48 hours. So you get this fun, you know, aspergillus fuzz on it. And typically speaking, that would be used to deconstruct starch but it has a, a whole slew of other uses and uh, huh. yeah really fun way to to mess around with some koji spores yeah man it I, m mine's got a giant head on it yeah i was literally yeah. about to say there's a ridiculous amount of foamy head on this beer i poured it i don't know if i don't know if any of you guys saw it this is my glass right now actually, <laughs> nice i was pretty careful with there you go mitch i was very careful to to pour it but at the same time i wanted to make sure i got the dramatic effect pour Oh, yeah. And I did, and I mean, it filled up a lot faster than I was expecting, and I kind of like freaked out and put it over the <laughs> side, and it like mushroomed up over my <laughs> over my glass, and, and none of it spilled, luckily, but I'm kind of waiting for it to go down, and looking in my bottle, 
Um, I know we're on a Zoom call, so we can all see it, but yeah, it's got a pretty decent amount of foam just kind of sitting there right now from the time I opened it. So I don't know if I'm expecting. Um, half of me wants Byron to kind of break down what the taste difference is between these before I get into it, but I want to. I'm going to say no. I don't want to do that because <laughs> I want to taste it first, and then I want to see if I can. Ignorance is bliss, number one. But number two, when you know when the expert starts talking about what to expect, I'm a big cigar guy. So um, reading a cigar aficionado magazine where it's like, hey, these are the top 25 cigars of the year. This is what you can expect with each flavor. It kind of ruins your experience because you know you're supposed to expect those flavors, right? And then if you don't taste it, it could be psychosomatic. You know, it, you could be like, oh well, I guess I could taste that in there. Whereas if I hadn't read the description. I may never have picked up on that. So I'm actually going to ask to hold off and refrain. I want to drink this. I just can't yet. The, the, the foam is... Well, I'm with you. I think it's best when you have a, a blind interpretation and mm -hmm. then perhaps some, some notes on the back end to fill in any questions. I will. Yeah. I'm going to just straight off the bat. The smell, it smells more like an IPA to me than the um koji monsuto does i i i i smelled i smelled a very champagne-esque flavor that you you hit that on the head i was trying to find the word for it in the beginning but it was kind of very fruity and kind of dry kind of sake-ish um on the nose this one actually and i don't know if it was due to the aroma because i just poured this a little heavier it could be that um this one smells a little bit more more like a, a hoppy ipa to me but then again I don't know if that's what I don't know if my opinion is is skewed at this point because of the way I poured it. Mitch, are you getting anything on the nose? Nose is definitely it's way more leaning towards our typical expe expectations of a beer, like on the nose profile wise. Uh, you know, it, it's got that hoppiest hoppy kind of nest to it, and it's maltier than just having uh, after having talked and drank the other one more of a koji presence so uh this one's more mild in that aspect and i'm really excited to get in and see what the difference is um i just for some reason it didn't dawn on me monsuta is monster right yeah okay i was just uh, like looking at that i was like hey <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why it took i don't know why it took me this long what you're yeah. saying, Mitch, is you're getting smarter the more you drink. Is that what you're saying? That's the goal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I, think I, I think I'm going to jump. Somehow, gonna... somehow along the line, when I, was, when I made the first Monsuta, um, oh, yeah, look at that. Look at that milkshake. Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, I guess one thing that you've noticed right away is that the head retention on this one, yeah. it actually has exists <laughs> in it <laughs> it looks awesome like, yeah. I, I wish i had my studio booted out to take a quick shot of it it's like a head in the clouds kind of thing there i feel like the i'm uh, looking at the beer itself the color seems to be hold on a second i need to i'm i'm tampering with my other glass that I had planned to save for my lighting round later on, but I want to compare the two side by side. The double seems, it looks darker. What the, the, the 
Koji Monsuto looks to be a little bit ha- or looks a little bit hazier, a little bit lighter, but the double looks to be maltier and it looks to be a little bit more on the caramely looking side. Like it's a little bit darker than the than the regular. I don't think it's just my light. Maybe it could be. Oh, you have a little bit left there. Yeah. Well, I poured some into my next glass, Mitch, because I, okay, on the camera, I realize I look like an idiot right now. Because they, they look almost the same. But in, in my head, when I'm holding them up to the light, I feel like they. Well, you got more volume in one than the this other. This is true. Too. It's just too smart. The double two has more barley koji in it versus um, the koji mansuta had more mm. rex koji in it. So. Hmm. The, the barley koji definitely darkens up the beers, which, I mean, you can see both of them, too, are on the darker side as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's totally barley koji. I'm going to try to bypass some of the foamy head. I mean, I, obviously, the foam is half is some of the experience. You want some of that as well, but I don't want – I want some of the beer in it as well. Let me see if I can get a sip out of it. Mm. It's definitely got more malt to it. That's good. It's yeah. not as um, champagne-y. It's not as dry. Yeah. Byron's looking at me like I'm probably an idiot right now. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to sit here. And I don't I don't know if I'm talking facts or not. I'm just I literally just had a sip of the Koji Matsuta. It's kind of like to finish off my glass, and I took this afterwards just to kind of get a a different flavor. But this seemed to me this seems less dry. It seems a little bit more malty, a tad sweeter. And a little bit hoppier, but not bitter. Not as bitter. Yeah. So it had a higher starting gravity and also a higher finishing gravity. So there's definitely more residual sugar in it. Um, although it is slightly higher ABV, there's mm. <clears throat> But yeah, you're absolutely right. The the double was, was certainly sweeter. I don't even know what the ABV is on this thing. That's because I didn't put it on. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> It's a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen. I've got two bombers of beer in front of me, expected to finish both of them, and I'm like, I still have probably a solid third of the first Koji Monsuta left. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to drink both of all of these bombers at once. I'm already feeling it, and I'm only I've only finished two thirds of of the first bomber. This is tasty, man. I really like it. Um, the Koji Monsuta is good. Don't get me wrong. I was I was a big fan. It's a different style IPA than what I've had before, obviously. Um, but this kind of, I feel like if I would have had this one first, this would have set the stage for what's going to be the Koji Monsuta because this is more of to me. It's more of an IPA style. It's got a little bit of that Koji or that little bit of that sake finish on the end, but it's definitely more heavily towards the IPA straight IPA beer excuse me, that I'm used to, which would kind of be a good stepping stone into the, the Koji Mansuta. I think you're right. And uh, yeah, one definitely informs the other. <clears throat> Certainly from a timeline perspective, mm-hmm. the devil was the precursor to the Koji. So mm. okay, that's, that's what, what led me across the path to, to uh, insanity, I guess. So mm-hmm. doing doing all Koji versus not all koji how does that affect is there a difference in um timing like fermentation and how long something like that takes as opposed to just doing all koji is there a a difference in technique between the two 
Well, most of the difference in technique is on the front end with regard to, to extracting the grain. So it takes a lot more koji to extract to a, a similar specific gravity than it does a typical malted grain. Mm. So, and part of that is because when the koji is uh, inoculating and taking over the grain, it's converting a lot of that starch and enzyme uh, into into the alpha and beta, you know, enzymes that's going to use in a normal situation to ferment something uh, or deconstruct starch. Uh, whereas, you know, your typical malted barley is basically full enzyme for brewing. Um, you have less of that at the end of the koji, at least less readily available. Mm. Sorry. Okay. Huh. So what? I, I don't know, man. I'm, well, I'm thinking it over in my head. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out which one I like better. I don't know. I don't know if I like one better over the other. I think I just like them both for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, they're <clears throat> kind of two different animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> one is, and again, I, I keep prefacing with this, but the double Matsuta is more IPA-ish. Is more um kind of like a, a stepping stone me personally so i'm not a we we talked with uh with ryan mckay at living waters a, a few weeks back and um <clears throat> he was very quick to find out and i i was up front with him i'm not a sour guy i'm not a sour beer guy it's just not my style of beer um but he had come out with a, a fruited goza that we actually had that night that was really interesting and i took a sip of it and i was like you know what this isn't this is actually really good i, I drank the entire can and i would have another one if i had one i actually really liked it because it was more on the the lawnmower style beer side of things you know and not as heavy into like the funky sourness of beers but it was a good stepping stone into what could be a new category of beer that I may or may not want to kind of jump into at some point. I feel like the, the double Monsuta is that catalyst, right? I, because I've never had a, uh, I keep saying Koji, but a, I guess that's true, but a sake inspired beer before until tonight, unless we want to go back to the, the few sips of the double uh, India pale sake that I had last week, which was actually my first experience, but <laughs> This is a this is a good it's a good jump off point. I like them both for different reasons. <clears throat> I think I favor the double Monsuta just because I'm more of a beer guy, and that's that's what resonates with me at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's been an interesting learning process too, because most of the IPAs that I've ever made were mostly for just personal consumption. So it's been fun to be in the in the in the real brewing space trying to work on these things um, with a little more pressure because it's not just me drinking it right. <laughs> true, true. Um, but I'm definitely interested in blurring the lines as much as possible between all of the various ferments out there because I think that's just the the way we get to new and interesting beverages and you know, specifically sake being such an interesting production style. It's been really fun to apply that lens to to brewing beer as well. <clears throat> and I hope that Koji Koji based uh, beers becomes kind of a, a more popular thing in the future. Because uh, I think it also offers a lot of opportunity for weird different styles that we haven't even scratched the surface of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's exciting seeing these few come out so um 
I just wonder. I wonder who's going to pick it up around, <laughs> you know, what you've started. <laughs> Very curious. Well, if anyone's out there listening, give me a call if you want some Koji. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it's, uh, I, I heard the topic briefly on another session that you were talking to some people on, but the craft beer scene in Japan, you know, um, I was actually kind of surprised that even James May, when he did his TV series, talked a bit about beer, but they were the big business. I think he started on the northern part of at the whole space, the whole island. Uh, uh, it, it's just, it's wild to think that I, I haven't kept up with time since 2019, but craft beer is still sort of a, you don't talk about it publicly as much, I guess. Uh, kind of like tattooing in a way, you hide it away. You, if you're, if you're in the know, you know, but if you don't, it's just kind of like, you know, it, it's not as hush hush as I'm hush hush as I'm probably making it out to be, but it'd be you wouldn't want anybody getting. It's like trying to buy weed on the corner here, you know. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. weed in Japan, horrible idea because mm. probably no one has it, but it's also super legal. Yeah, uh, and but yeah, as far as craft brewing in Japan goes, they've really turned the corner, and that I think only within the last I, I could be wrong about this but within the last year or two did they make it even legal for you to brew beer hmm. below a certain threshold so huh. um, as it stands now it's illegal <laughs> to make sake at home uh. even for personal use um, and for the longest time I think beer was the same way it may even still be it may be that you have to apply for a license to do small production but there are there are very few craft brews in Japan, and um, much like they probably feel about the sake in America, <laughs> it seems it seems a little lacking. But the uh, the inspiration and the excitement is there, and I think that's what's important. Right. And there is certainly a lot more interest. And now that the legal doors are somewhat open, you're starting to see craft beer places pop up, although very few and only in like Kyoto and Tokyo but mm. they are coming up and they're they are like you know walking through the the process of every home brewer getting into where it's like well I'm making a half of ice now this is my first half of ice well, well this is an ESB and mm. here's a porter and a stout <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying out all of the styles that are on the historical register and right. recipes readily available seemingly so there's, they haven't gotten to the point where they're really flexing on all of this history and information they have on fermentation. They're just trying to figure out how to brew it for the first time. Going through all the styles. <laughs> That's cool though. It's a good journey. Yeah. And I mean, prior to that though, pretty much everything has just been some derivative of a Hella style lager mm. where, you know, you go back, so far and there were some dutch and some german um uh you know shipmen that had set up beer shops for for ship people so um the the origins of beer in japan really are just german beer and especially dry lagers so huh. 
as far as you go back, you know, Sapporo and Asahi and Kirin, and there are a few others that don't exist anymore, but they've just been trying to do their best interpretation of a, a super dry, kind of protein-heavy German crisp lager. Hmm. Um, some of those with uh, Japanese hops, but most of them with, you know, your typical saws and halotau. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, I didn't really think about the, I guess, it, not necessarily Germanic presence of the beer there, but yeah, okay. Yeah, that's makes so. a lot of sense when yeah. someone told me that. Because I was asking a fellow brewer of mine who also does a lot of beer, I was like, hey, I'd really love to learn more about the, the Japanese-style lagers. Like, have you found any recipes or have you met with anyone over there that really, he's like, you know, just buy, you know, Horse Dorn Dornbush's Alice Lager book. <laughs> That's it. That's what they're doing over there. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> uh, that's a the more you know moment, I feel like. Great. Oh, great. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Byron, is there, um, is there more on the horizon? from a proper sake style um obviously you guys are going to keep doing other sakes but do you guys have stuff kind of in the in the works for more sake infused style beers or was this kind of <clears throat> are you are you toying with it now to see if it works and if it works you're going to keep going or is this something that you guys have said you know what this is something we want to do i say we i, I assume you have a whole production that you may be the only employee there for all you know for all i know i think you might be a one-man show but is there's is this something that you guys are doing going forward or is this kind of an experiment on what you're what you're trying to do yeah i, I think it's i think it's both um as far as like widespread distribution goes Mm -hmm. I think we'll mostly stick with, for now, the Koji Gold and as far as beer goes, and then the, the sakes. Mm -hmm. But if you are local to Tennessee, um, especially Nashville, um, I'm definitely going to keep doing more beer styles, more sake styles, more small release stuff, which yeah. is really a, an inspiration that I've taken away from this moment in time. But my ultimate goal is that once we get into a new space and things settle down, um, we can get, keep saving our pennies and get a small canning line so that I can really mm. start releasing this stuff into the marketplace. So, you know, places like Craft Brood and Woodland Wine Merchant yeah. carry these special releases. Um, and I would love to keep doing that, but also obviously have a, a customer facing space where people can taste all of these side by side. Um, <clears throat> and also, you have more access to even more varietals. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, I, I will by all means continue to make sake inspired beers, um, or even just inspired beers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it could be anything really, but continuing to, to blend styles of fermentation and ingredients and, fermentation techniques that maybe don't, aren't necessarily typically applied to beer. Um, I would, I would like to continue trying to push the envelope in that way. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in keeping going because sake has never been, never been something that I just 
gravitate towards you know I, I i hear a lot of it through mitch and and mitch is kind of more in that that aspect and he's more into that culture that was actually the first in the few times that i've had sake and i've been intrigued by it but i've never it's never been on like mitch alluded to earlier like when you walk into a a beer store or a liquor store or a convenience store or whatever it's always like on the bottom shelf or it's kind of in the back corner i feel like it's not getting its its place you know <laughs> so to speak because there's it's wild there's a lot going on with this kind of stuff and then you blur the lines between it and beer and it messes with me man because i'm <laughs> used to i'm used to drinking beer but i you know i'm interested in the sake so this is kind of like the perfect combination for me to to try something you know i mitch has heard this time and time in and time out over and over again but my styles of ipas are more super west coast dank um real bitter kind of ipas or kind of go all the way to the opposite of the spectrum and do lower on the ibu um but kind of more juicy kind of that southern you can call it a new england style new england hazy versus like juicy i think those are kind of two different ipas but um those are the two that i gravitate towards and then you come in and you say i'm going to take a double ipa and then i'm going to infuse it with a sake inspired setup and I really don't know what to think now because this is like a new style that I'm interested in and I'm really digging it. I like the, the, the double Monsuta. I think I've made up my mind. I think I, the, the Koji Monsuta is really good. I think the double Monsuta kind of takes the cake for me because it's more of what I'm used to, but it kind of gives me a, a little bit of a stepping stone into the, the sake inspired world of you blending the lines between the two. And that's what I like about the, the craft beer community in general excuse me is um we're blurring the lines between what a style of beer is and another style of beer is like who would have thought five years ago we would have had a sour ipa or we would have had a sour <laughs> stout you know it's not my thing but it's becoming a thing in general you're taking two styles of beer like a cuvee and you're putting them together and you're saying this is a new style of beer and people are latching onto it and you're doing the same thing at proper sake where you're taking sake you know style chemistry or tactics and you're infusing it with ipas and i like it it's really good well yeah I part of it too is is trying to create opportunities for people to cross pollinate so you know just like you're now having this experience where mm -hmm. you, you have at least been forced to think about sake in some capacity because mm. of the beer that you're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we can, if we can get more people to do that, then whether they end up liking sake or not, we'll, we'll make some more converts out of it. But we'll also, you know, keep doing things that are interesting and hopefully draw some attention on the way. But one way or another, the more that people are talking about sake or uh, adjunct-related beverages, the, the happier I am. So. Mm. Very true. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh god I, I i'm getting full <laughs> yeah i really am i feel like i feel like i don't know um uh, byron is this are you are you okay to go into a lightning round or is that something that that you're not necessarily are you are you too full to be able let's to get this, into something this lightning round i haven't, right. I haven't had as much as you guys <laughs> that's a good point i think i'm gonna go have to take a rinse break mitch <laughs> yeah that's not a bad idea i could use a little bit of water so yeah i'll uh i'll take a about 
it'll be less than five minutes. I'll be right back. Well, we'll take a rinse break. We'll be right back to stay with us. Hey everyone, Mitch from the Foamy Heads here. Just wanted to say thank you to Byron again for joining us this evening. And uh, what a wonderful time it has been. And can't wait to talk to you again. Uh, I know I'm going to be picking up your beers as often as I can, your sakis as often as I can. Uh, for anyone who's curious, he has a weekly release on either beer or sake, and you never know. So stay tuned, follow him on anywhere that you digest your social media. There's Instagram, Facebook, and he even has a website. So look him up and get his beer, get his sake. Uh, he's got all sorts of choices to choose from. So uh, I know I'm going to be actively watching and picking up stuff. I want more Koji beer and I need more sake. So I'll be checking out proper sake every week and so should you. All right. Welcome back. Uh, it's time for the lightning round where we're just basically we're, we're drinking whatever we feel like we want to drink at this point. It doesn't necessarily have to flow with the theme of what we've been talking about tonight. Um, Mitch, I'm going to start with you. What are you drink? What are you throwing back for your lightning round right now? Well, I took my lightning round up one, I guess, to eleven. If, in right. terms of spinal tap, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we talked about it briefly earlier this week. I've, you you gave me this all together. It's from mm. the uh, other half brewing. Yep. Um, not much else on the lay. Oh, wait. Bearded Iris and Other Half. Is that mm -hmm. what it is? Yep. Okay. Hosted by Other Half. Duh. They did. They started it. That's yep. right. I'm a little flaky on the subject now. I, I haven't had too many altogethers through the year. Um, mainly, if they it was on tap or something, I think I was able to get it. Was I think maybe Bearded Iris had one on tap. I don't know if they had it on tap, but they were they were one of the first ones to release theirs, at least in the area. So that, that, that's how I heard about it. Oh, okay. Was the bearded Iris guy were doing it, and that's when they were like, "You should you should do it too." And I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Yep. So I reached out to other half. I was like, "Are you guys cool with this?" And they're like, "Yeah, everyone can do it. It's like for everyone." <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know come to think of it i think i do remember seeing i i was at um so again i'm in murfreesboro but there's a liquor store beer store up where i am and there is a um an other an an altogether sake beer oh i knew mitch had it i knew he was gonna have it in his hand right there there it is yeah yeah. So I'm going to put them together and side-by-side -side taste on them. Nice. So ours is, is essentially the the dips, the double India pale sake. So mm -hmm. not carbonated. It doesn't have any grain bill to it. It's just sake fermented with hops. Mm -hmm. But the difference was that I used the hop bill that other half put out for their basically, you know, free form yeah. open source recipe. Uh, it's still a stock A fully except with nice I, I'm excited to see how they go together if they, yeah, no, I wish if I they do up one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm that's actually going to go Mitch tomorrow's Thursday right yeah okay yeah Thursday's typically my beer run day because it's right by my work I'm going to run by tomorrow and see if they still have some if they do I'm going to pick one up nice. where do you get your beer in Murfreesboro 
Uh, Stones River Total Beverage. It's right off Thompson Lane. Um, sure. <clears throat> they have they have oh I'd say over the last probably year they have really upped their game in terms of what they're getting in. Um, I think they they realized at some point that craft beer not only is here to stay, but it is it is definitely the catalyst to sales and especially and so they kind of start focusing on it. And it's ridiculous the amount of beer that they get. And I've just because I go there a couple of times a week, I've kind of figured out when they get new beers and it kind of seems to be like Thursdays and Fridays is when they get their distributions. Um, so I know that if I show up Thursday, of course I could show up Friday and get it all at the same time. But when I show up Thursday, that's when most of them come in and um, I can pick up my, my different styles of beer for the week. I've got actually um, for my lightning round, uh, Mitch, I also have a bearded iris. Uh, I've got, this is interesting. This is actually the latte from bearded iris. So I'm taking kind of a different approach. You're going um, sake installed beer. I'm going actually Imperial uh, oatmeal stout. But the interesting thing about this one is this is the original V latte that they released way back many years ago. So um, they always do, you know, they're always working with different coffee companies to come up with their, their V latte inspired beers, this one. And I don't even remember when it is, when it came out. um, This was the, the first release of V latte. So DJ, who's a co-host with us from time to time on the show, um, is not a big fan of coffee inspired stouts. Uh, so he picked up a four pack. So I actually have two of them sitting in my fridge right now, actually in my, my beer fridge. Um, this is the original V latte that he picked up many, many years ago and he just never got around to it. And so he gave them to me. So I'm toasting the DJ on this one. This one nice. is probably a good five years old at this point. No, no. Cause beard Iris is only, they just released their four year anniversary. This might be around three years old. That's a flex, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a deep cut. That is I'm not, I'm not playing tonight. <laughs> Byron, are you uh are you sipping on something for the lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of walk us through it. To get um had a a few of those three Floyd's Alpha Kings in the fridge. Oh, yes. I love Alpha King. I like three Floyd's. Before you get too excited, but oh, okay. I drank the last one um, while I was up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I grabbed uh, what is arguably an, an even more special sake. It's, oh. it's a 20-year-old sake. Oh, wow. I brought this back um, in February when I got back. Um but that looks nice. The brewery is called Ono, and it is from Fukui. And it is a super special sake that I just kind of wandered across. Um, and there's there's a handful of, of retail stores around the country that you you over time figure out their location and just go in and, and bring a box and trust them to send you whatever. And it's like, oh, that's cool. You know what I want. They know I want old stuff. They know I want, you know, wacky Yamaha styles. And this mm. one, we got to taste when we were there. It's unbelievable. Oh man, it so looks, you're drinking it that nice color to it too, man. Yeah, it's this is what happens to sake as it ages. That wow. that glucose actually caramelizes, so huh. uh, it starts to brown. And most most aged sake is is uh, is stored at room temp or is allowed to fluctuate 
in hmm. the uncontrolled temp situation throughout the years. Huh. Um, so it really, it has a nice ride. And it's a, a slow ebb and flow of temperature, but most Japanese people don't care that much for sake, uh, aged sake. So there are, are very few breweries that do it. Uh, and the ones that do sell it for a song, basically. I think I think this bottle was like 15 bucks. What? Yeah. What? Wow. Yeah. Why is that? Probably. Why Why is there not a Why is there not a desire or a need for just aged style sakes in that culture? Um, I think for one, because most of the the youth culture is so interested in non sake related products like whiskey mm. and beer and, and you know French French and Italian wines. Mm. Um, that sake is kind of on the back foot, anyways, but. Um, most of the sake styles that are, are being enjoyed at this point are very fresh, daiginjo, super refined styles that are uh, definitely on the drier, fruitier side. Whereas something like this is, I mean, it might as well be drinking whiskey. It's yeah. it's wacky. And wow. It, it wouldn't be out of out of tune to put a, a nice cube, <laughs> you know. Mm. Well, I was I was excited that you're drinking the three Floyds. I'm more excited that you decided <laughs> to go with this instead. So, your your argument was valid when you're like, before you get too excited, Richard. This is what I found along the way. So that's what I'm excited. That looks really good. I didn't know sake could actually look like that. I know, you know, we're we're going to be posting the audio, not necessarily the video, but you yeah. held that up to the camera just a couple of minutes ago, and it looked like whiskey, like yeah. it was kind of that dark caramelized. Um, not quite as dark as whiskey, but it, it kind of looked like it was on its way. I've never seen sake look like that before. The sake that I have, that I've had in, you know, previous years and weeks and whatnot, and probably the one sitting behind that that ice shield <laughs> is super cloudy um, <clears throat> and kind of more of an opaque whitish style. That's what I know sake as. So when you held that up and it was more of a caramelized dark color, that was that was interesting to me because I've never seen that before. Yeah, well, and so if that Naruto tie uh, that you have in there is, in fact, an Agori style, so cloudy. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even know. I've never had an aged Nagori. They don't, they definitely don't do that very often. Hmm. But, um, I've certainly never come across it, so that'll be pretty interesting. I wonder if it's any, got any different color to it. Well, Mitch, that's what I was planning on doing the whole time. I was planning on aging that thing the whole time. Oh, yeah. We could, yeah. It's all according to plan. <laughs> I'm not playing, man. That ice is like eight or nine inches thick. I just have to get through it. And we'll, have, we'll have to power drill it. Yeah. I've made a good I've made a good dent with it. So all I have to do now is just take the back end of a hammer and just kind of like start clawing it out. And then I'll I'll be able to get to it. But you're right. I think so. Again, I, I come from Nashville area and now I live out in Murfreesboro with my family, but we bought this six years ago and it was just when I was start kind of learning and getting into sake. I've never had a good sake before other than like going to a restaurant and like, oh, you should get this and you should get it hot. And Mitch actually said, you know, if you drink a good sake, you can drink it cold. And that was wow. new to me. I've never had that experience before. You could have it either way, obviously. It just depends on your preference. Um, so then, you know, he said, this is a good one to start, you know, to, to go find. And we found it that day. So we bought it 
and I think Mitch, I think you and I actually drank half of it when I was in Nashville yeah. at the time. And then I just kept it in my freezer. And then over time when I, I just never really kept up with it. And then I moved. So I turned off the fridge and then I moved it across town and plugged it in. So whatever was melting kind of froze back up and to become the ice wall that is the freezer now. And now it's stuck behind there and I haven't been able to get to it yet. Yeah. Uh, but when I ran across the Nodogudo tie, it, it, it got, it blew me away because we haven't really had that many cloudy unfiltered sakis here. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I haven't hadn't seen them or went to the right place. And oftentimes the people I knew around me always got the hot sake, which is just Gekikan, you know, warmed up. And if they got something like Junmai or paid the 14 to $20 for a bottle, they'd bring it out. And it, that's typically chilled or something. So it's like, I started at that point looking at the various grades of sake and where the where they come from and why and all that. So um, I, I talked up that the red snapper a lot when I had it <laughs> and found it in the most random place in Hermitage, mm -hmm. some just liquor market. Their distributor just handed them 50 vials of it or whatever, the, whatever these bottles are called. And we picked up probably five total that day. And you, you took two, I took three and sold one to another friend who was a fan of, we grew up together liking Jap Japanese stuff. So <laughs> we were super impressed to even get a metal canister like this that you can't crush, you know? Yeah. Um, and even still in Tennessee, like that's a, it's a rare sake to come across. Um, I know that they had pretty wide distribution for a while, but I haven't seen any of those around in a little bit. Yeah, I, I know Total Bev has a connection because they've got the other sakis that that distributor provides. So if they even have a booklet that has this can in it, but it's not on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so I, they pretty well tell me every time I go in there in, in Murfreesboro, they're, if you want it, they'll order it. So yeah. I'm assuming there's at least a small channel somewhere yeah. around, but yeah, I need more of it. Uh, it's just cool to have on the shelf, really. <laughs> Byron, is there um, is there anything you're allowed to allude to at this point in time? I'm sure you guys have had stuff that's kind of in the works right now. Is there um, some sort of whether it be detailed or not detailed of stuff that you guys are are looking towards in the future that we can look forward to to pick it up at your spot yeah um well this may not be that exciting but i i've been working with a lot more house cultures regarding um lactobacillus and pediococcus so souring in different ways that aren't necessarily traditional but especially as it pertains to sake because you don't really do that but um, working with different koji styles some that also have souring capabilities but also um, using as many of the wacky bugs that I can get from our our yeast and, and uh, bacteria guy uh, Jeff Mello over at bootleg biology um, to just mess around with and so I've got several what i'm probably going to deem to be japanese style wild ales running right oh. now. um i've got another um kind of 
cross-culture tapache project going. Um, so I basically kind of built my own SCOBY <clears throat> and introduced yeast so that it would actually ferment to become alcoholic. Nice. But uh, basically doing a tapache um, with some koji and this kind of self-inoculated SCOBY, which has um, all sorts of, you know, wild pediococcus and lactobacillus cultures in it. Um, that'll definitely give it some more sour element. Um, I'm super excited about that. Mm. And my wife is a big fan of sours, so she, I, I hope, is super excited. But um, she, so the, the momo shoe, which momo means peach in Japanese, was kind of a nod, a nod to her. Her name's Monica, but I call her Momo. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, so she appreciated that one on multiple levels, but um, I definitely would like to keep doing more of that. And, um, you know, with the weather cooling down, perhaps some heartier, heartier beverages yeah. in the quarter <laughs> style um, with some of our other more savory ferments. Um, potentially like a miso a miso porter is something I'm looking at that'd be cool yeah yeah um, we'll see what happens but I also I got when I got that massive tank uh, a few months ago I also got another smaller tank that, to work around on some small stuff so I do have a bunch of new yeast cultures coming in um, from Japan that I'm super excited about and these are some of the more esoteric, lesser available styles, um, which will be all over the map, I'm sure. Um, but can't wait to get those. Yeah, I'm excited, man. That'd, that'd I'm be ready for more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, not tonight. I can't. <laughs> You've had too much beer. I've got, I've got two, uh, I've got two open bombers here, and I think I've got. <laughs> half of the double monsuta left and i've got about a third of the koji monsuta and i i don't want to let these things go to waste i'm going to yeah. try my damnedest to try to finish these tonight i really am um <laughs> you got kind of, hours uh, <laughs> <laughs> i need i need something to preserve it but i feel like i've opened it so i need to finish it like true you know um kind of circling back around and and closing out final thoughts between the two Mitch, I'm going to ask you next, mm. but I think between the two, I think the double Monsuta, the, the Koji Monsuta is interesting for me because it kind of has that champagne dry lift. The double Monsuta is more of an IPA malty style that I'm used to with that, with that um, sake style finish <clears throat> that I've, that I've now know that I like and <laughs> So I think between the two, the Koji, the Koji Monsuta is good, is really good. The double Monsuta is great. So I think out of the two for the night, my favorite is going to be the, the double Monsuta. So that's what I'm going with. Mitch, if you had to pick one of the two that we drank tonight, which one are you going with? I really enjoyed the all Koji. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It was, we do uh, that all the yeah. time have yeah. you noticed that <laughs> we do that all the time there's always a, a there's always a set of beers that we try and mitch and i differ completely on those and that's what i love about this whole community yeah the all Ko koji is uh it's brand new to me so uh 
I, I was just super bright about it. You know, it, it was a new experience. I want more vari variations of that. And, uh, you know, uh, the other one's very good too. Uh, <laughs> if I was into having more of a, uh, towards a, a lean towards beer, probably that one, but the Koji just, it's a whole, it's a whole different animal when it comes to that, uh, flavor that you did with that one. So I really, mm -hmm. it was awesome. It, it, it almost tickled the sour scene. You know what I mean? It had that effervescence kind of for a lighter sour in my mind, but because I'm not big on, I really don't know my place with sours. I, I did a Funk Fest a while back, Bottle Share. It was uh, when Yazoo did their very first, uh, what was it, Embrace the Funk. Yeah. And people brought insane funk beers. Like one just, it punched you into defeat within a, like an ounce pour like it was insanely funky i can't remember the name of it but it had like a real black metal kind of label to it and stuff like it was threatening by appearance alone so uh, <laughs> it lived up to the label uh everything else seemed pretty nice they all had their own tardiness the funk was there some of it was a bit rotten tasting at times but because yeah. there's just all these flavors back to back from the bottle share. So I really don't know what I had, but there was that one that just threw me off completely for a few minutes. But um, with the sours we've been having recently in the past couple of years, they're tamer. They have more of a direct approach to what their flavor profiles are to be, not just super funky. They have uh, the marketing's there with them. So you already know kind of what you're getting into. Um, but the Koji's still relatively new to me and that beer just brightened my day. So points that points to that one for me. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah. Brian, you, Brian, you, Brian, Byron, you didn't, um, you were drinking sake all night tonight and then, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you kind of mentioned what you were drinking during the lightning round, but hmm. I'm going to, it's, it's going to be different because you didn't drink what we drank tonight, but the Koji Monsuta and the double Monsuta, do you have a preference between the two? I understand that it's your opinion is going to be a little biased because you created the two, but surely you have a flavor profile that you prefer over another. Like you have a beer that you prefer to drink. What is your style between those two? Do you typically go towards the Koji or the Koji Monsuta or do you go towards the double Monsuta? You know, I think it depends on the occasion. And specifically, I was I was really excited to be able to pull off the Koji Monsuta because I didn't mm -hmm. know how that was going to work. Sure. For one, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to derive enough gravity from just mm -hmm. Koji to be able to make a beer. Um, so I think I appreciate that. I, I probably would land in that direction just because I spend so much time around Koji that... Um, it's a very familiar aroma and and flavor profile, especially from a culinary perspective. So um, it, it certainly was the more interesting of the two, but at the same time, you know, I can't get enough bearded iris, I can't get enough Southern Gris to be able to make a beer that was a little bit closer to what those guys do and then yeah. as good, but hopefully in the same ballpark. Um, that was also really entertaining to me and, um, yeah, I think it's a time and place situation. Mm -hmm. I, I would suspect, as Koji does with most 
uh, most pairings, like I think it makes it uh, a very food friendly beverage. Um, but you know, the double on its own is probably more of a drinker by itself. Uh, I know that just skirted the question entirely, but no, not at all. <laughs> it depends on the situation. I, I totally get that. And there, there might be a time with, depending on what I'm eating, the Koji Mansuta might actually take precedence over the two. And if I can, if I can jump back real quick to something that you mentioned, I don't, yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you're not drinking your stuff that you're creating, and you're drinking something, whether it's around Nashville or if it's around a surrounding state or whatever, what craft beer are you drinking if you're not drinking your own stuff? Because I would imagine at the end of the day, you like your own things. You're not going to put out something that you don't like personally, but you have to have a, you have to have a palate for something else as well. What are you drinking when you're not drinking your own stuff? Yeah, that's very fair. And um, for the most part, like I don't drink a lot of my stuff because I do it in such small quantity. Mm -hmm. that I'm super protective of it and don't want to waste it on myself. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, to that end, as far as the local producers go, like I mentioned, Southern Grist, the Beard Iris are, <clears throat> are both incredible breweries and also just wonderful friends that are very forthright with information and help as far as it pertains to business and questions. Um, it's been wonderful to have them as friends and as uh -huh. brewers in town. Um, Back when Smith and Lentz was open, um, well, I guess they're getting back into it, but yeah. um, I really loved hanging out there. I love uh, Eastern European style beers. So them being one of the few people really touching on that was really nice. Yeah, um, sure. Caribbean lagers or their, you know, Christy Pilsners or Czech style lagers. I think that's incredible. Um, as far as, um, getting just outside of the state goes. I love the burial stuff. Oh, I love burial beers. <laughs> yes. Asheville, yes. North Carolina represent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to go to Asheville on a, a, an outdoor holiday. It's the one thing I've really done during COVID. And yeah, me and the family went and just kind of stayed in the woods, but popped back into town to go to burial. We went to the forestry camp. Yep. We had a really nice uh, meal outside. Yeah. Um, but also tasted all of the beers that they're doing at the moment. And yeah, I, I think it's fantastic what they're doing. And I love on top of everything, their branding and also their interest in you no know, kind of wild voter style ferments. Mm -hmm. Um, three Floyd's obviously is super cool. <clears throat> um, but as far as like major breweries go, I know they're, they're a big, a big kid, but I'm always pleased with the consistency of Brooklyn stuff. So, yeah, the the Brooklyn Pilsner is one of the crispiest beers on the market. Um, the Brooklyn Defender IPA I think is one of the weirdest, most interesting mass market IPAs I've had. Um, I find myself, especially because a lot of our beer stores locally have the the twelve pack, mm -hmm. the six pack, um, with a lot of their stuff, and it has the Bel Air Sour for the wife. She loves that. Gotcha. Um, uh, <laughs> last thing, local, pseudo-local. Um, I love what Wiseacre does. I think the Tiny Bomb is another inspiration uh, for his yeah. crisp beers go. And I also, I love the the regular pale that they do. Mm. It's, it's not too hoppy. 
It's also plenty hoppy, and it's only it's just mosaic, which I also admittedly am a fan of. But um, it's a super crushable beer that has a nice, like five and a half percent alcohol content. Um, it was perfect during the summer, and I suspect yeah. it would be really great for fall too. Um, it it's interesting that you mentioned that because we've had you know we've talked with like Ryan from, from living waters previously. And, you know, he's coming out with stouts and, and IPAs, you know, he'll have either river or I'm sorry, waterfall beers or river beers, you know, whether it's stouts or whether it's IPAs, but at the end of the day, he just prefers a nice Pilsner. And it's interesting to hear you say the same thing because, (laughs) you know, you mentioned that you're like, you know, a hoppy Pilsner or a regular Pilsner Mm -hmm. is just, it's just what I prefer. And, all these breweries and and you guys are included that are coming out with all this stuff. Having that is all great. Sometimes you just want a Pilsner and Mitch, I know has been getting into those lately. Southern Grist had like um, hoppy or like honey crisp or or I'm trying to remember Mitch. Hoppy crisp. Hoppy crisp. Yeah. There's a Southern crisp. Yep. Really great job. Yep. Especially as a brewer too. Like, even though those are the styles of beers that come off as kind of the most commodity, they're mm-hmm. actually the hardest to make and they take the longest to make. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, frustrating that those are commoditized in a way that you can't sell them for as much as the IPAs because mm-hmm. they actually end up taking way more time and effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just with the log yeah. and well, there's nowhere to hide right <laughs> right and that's the thing too like it, it really is it's it's kind of a passion project because not only do you have to spend more time and effort on it um if you fuck it up everyone knows you can't right. just some hops to cover it up yep it's a it requires a a tight profile mm-hmm. Man. yeah why do they have to be cheap that, that's that is weird <laughs> that is weird I suspect it has something to do with that being, you know, the Budweiser, Miller, Coors style of choice. Yeah. <clears throat> They've figured out how to monetize it and brew so much of it at a time that that particular style now is just, it's commodity. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully that changes and hopefully people continue to push the envelope there. We'll see. Well, there is something to be said about that because being able to take a regular Pilsner I, I, for one, am not that big of a Pilsner guy, and I probably fall into that category of, oh, that just tastes like every other macro-style brewery that <laughs> creates beer. And Mitch is like, but Southern Grist, they've got, you know, they've got <laughs> this beer, and they've got that beer, and they've got these Pilsners, and I'm like, I haven't got, had like, it. craft so. craves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I haven't had it before, but like, I'm sure it's good. But and and the same thing happened when we were talking you know, a, a couple of weeks back about this subject. It's like, there's nowhere to hide with Pilsners. You have to, your game has to be on point. Your profile has to be wrapped up tight because like you just said, Byron, you can't just, oh, the beer doesn't taste good. Let's just throw some hops on top of it and then we'll just make it an IPA or let's do this and that'll that'll kind of mask the, the skunkiness of the flavor. Your profile has to be on point with a Pilsner. Otherwise you have a bad beer. So it's actually harder to brew something like a Pilsner, but that's not what people are looking for right now. So it's a very interesting and unique profile and style of beer. 
I just haven't had it. I haven't had it recently. And it seems like not a lot of people are making them, but when they do, especially craft beer communities, it's always really good. Southern Grist just knocks it out of the park every time with that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think I have a soft spot too, because one of my first restaurant jobs, well, one of my first influential restaurant jobs was at an Austrian restaurant. And the amount of esoteric Eastern European beers that I'd never heard of that they had was unbelievable. And so to taste all of these like, you know, multi-hundred-year-old breweries doing their thing side by side really informed the difference between Czech style and Viennese and German style and Hellas versus, you know, draft import style. Um, the nuances are, are subtle, but also they're there. And to be able to taste the way that the Eastern Europeans have done it for however long is pretty informing too. Hmm. Anyways, if you get a chance. <laughs> yeah. That'd be wonderful stuff out there. If you find a, if you're if you're in a city that has uh, an Eastern European beer hall or even German style beer hall, um, and it's it's a it's a special thing. I'm thinking huh. specifically of one of my favorite places called Radagast Beer Hall in in Brooklyn. Radagast um, Beer Hall. Okay. When things open up, if you find yourself up that way, mm-hmm. what a I'm place for it! Just to take a look. Yeah. You talking about the Brooklyn uh, beer? It just made me think of uh, Milton Glazer this year. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, just crazy. Uh, so much bad this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the bad. But yeah, you no, know, he did. He knocked that logo out of the park. He really so. did. And if you, it's not a great read, but the Brooklyn beer book. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's if you're in the industry, it's it's interesting. If you were just oh. a passerby, I wouldn't recommend it. But I, I think you guys might get a kick out of it. Um, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, for sure. There's a whole chapter on the logo and working with Milton Glaser and how much they hated it. <clears throat> and when he explained it to him, he was like, "You guys are idiots. <laughs> I've created something that's iconic, and." I think I know about that, and you don't. So trust yeah. in this, and they're like, yeah. "All right, so here we are, with all of the craft beer noise." And it's like it's still one of the most iconic labels out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he nailed it. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> oh gosh, Byron, well, we can't thank you enough, man. Yeah, it's already been two hours. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> Good it's ridiculous uh this is awesome man honestly um just being able to sit down and talk to somebody in in this industry is is humbling for us because you know we're at the end of the day we're just we're just beer consumers that are looking for something good and being able to say you know in times like this when whether we're we're stuck at home or if we're kind of limiting the places that we go to during these trying times you know, there's people like you guys that are out there that are able to continue creating this stuff and, and helping us. It sounds bad, but helping us get by during these times because it gives us something to connect with other people too and, and something new to try because when we're stuck at home or when we're going to the office and then back home and we're limiting the places that we go, 
it's monotony, right? And being able to try something new is advantageous to people like Mitch and to people like myself. So we can't thank you enough for doing what you're doing and please keep doing it. We're going to keep spending our money at your, at your <laughs> location. Just please keep doing it because it's, it's guys like you that are helping us get through these times. Well, to that end, I'm incredibly humbled also. And thank you guys for helping me keep the lights on over here. Um, it's, I'm also a beer consumer and uh, it's also been a wild ride and I'm excited to be able to do something like this. So sure. Thanks very much. That's awesome. Mitch, any, any closing thoughts? No, just a huge thank you to beer and personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, it's, it's good to have somebody on the show that has personality and that's willing to talk about this kind of stuff. And Byron fits that bill to be able to, you know, because being able to just come on and talk about beer is one thing, but being able to, you know, we're not, we're not, although we are interested in your background and your life and stuff, the, the focus is on the beer and the rest of it kind of comes into play as we, as we start talking and this kind of unfolds. So it's always interesting to talk about the backgrounds of this beer and then learn about your history and what got you to this point to begin with. Cause that is super important and it's critical, right? Especially during these times because history and stuff like that is what keeps you going. It's not just brewing beer. It has to be a passion. It's not just brewing sake. It's, it's, you have to like what you do, you know, just reading up on you and, and just talking to you in general, there's, there's an obvious passion about this stuff and we can't thank you enough for just kind of coming on the show tonight. Thank you guys so much. So what you're doing and uh, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> that sounds great. And if you're not if you're not drinking beer, start drinking beer. And if you are drinking beer, keep drinking beer. And if you've never had craft beer before, proper sake in Nashville based off Ewing Avenue over by the Metro Center, right? Uh, pretty close, yeah. Pretty close to it, yeah. Try those guys out. They've got great sake. They've got great beers. Um, it's just, it's, Nashville is booming with lots of personality and lots of talent. And Byron is one of those guys. So we can't thank him enough and go try a spot out. Keep checking in his beers, keep buying this stuff, keeping him in business. And I know we're going to, and Byron cheers to you, man. We hope you have a great one. And we appreciate you. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.